0: Uh, we started um, our series, in a way, last week uh, by looking at a parable of, of wheat and weeds. Uh, it was a parable, if you like, uh, about a bad sower. We started with this question, uh, if God made a good world, why does it look the way it does? Uh, why is it so broken uh, or messed up? And in that story that Jesus told us last week, Jesus explained uh, that an enemy has done this the devil sowed bad seed uh, the devil polluted the world with his lies lies like god isn't good or he can't be trusted or he doesn't want what's best for you or you're better off without him and the telling of these lies and, and our believing them is the reason why the world is the way that it is right beautiful yeah broken that too we started with that story because in so many ways that's where our story begins. It's our context. Like we woke up today in a beautiful but broken world and it makes sense for us to ask why. And Jesus wants us to know the answer. Yeah. Now do you think it was right thing God be created first person created free will? That's a good question, Josh, yeah. Um, and we can talk about that. Let's definitely talk about it. Um, but yeah, Josh is asking, if, if in the beginning, did God make free will? Yeah, he made a good and beautiful world. He made a world where love is possible, right? And in order for that to be possible, there has to be choice. There has to be. Otherwise, all he has is a universe full of robots who've been programmed to say yes to him. And that's not what God wants. God wants us to know uh, our love, and he wants us to reflect love. And in order for that to be true, right, there has to be will. But that will has been corrupted, okay? And consequently, the world looks the way that it does. There is a bad sower out there, okay? But there is a good sower too. And this sower, like the bad sower, is also sowing seed. Jesus tells us, right, the seed that is being sown is the Word of God. And I want you to see, first of all, what he does with it. Okay, the good sower sows everywhere. He sows his seed indiscriminately. Trampled path, rocky soil, thorny soil, rich. It doesn't matter. The good sower sows his seed everywhere. And at first glance, it appears that the good sower is actually a really bad farmer. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But it looks like the good sower is a bad farmer. He doesn't identify the good soil first and concentrate all of his resources there. That's something you and I might do. That's something a good farmer might do down at the intervale, but that's not what this one does. In fact, if you were a farmer and this was an employee of yours, and you looked out the window and you saw this employee sowing seed on uh, on a path, sowing it on rocky soil, sowing it among thorns, You'd be inclined to fire him. What a waste. It doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. But this is not how God operates. This is the first thing that I want you to see. If the devil ruined the world by sowing bad seed, God is in the midst of that same ruined world sowing good seed. And he's sowing good seed here and he's sowing good seed there. He is sowing good seed everywhere. Right, the word of God, the good news that Jesus saves sinners, uh, is a word from God, and it's for everyone, everywhere. But this raises another kind of question, and it's one that we're going to spend the rest of tonight asking and answering. And that question is this. If the word of God is for everyone, everywhere, why does it bear fruit in some lives and not others? If the word of God is for everyone everywhere why does it bear fruit in some lives and not others As Jesus explains in this story that has nothing to do with the sower It's not because the sower is being singy it's not because he's sowing here and not there and it has nothing to do with the seed Hey waking Right the seed or the word of God that's preached over here is the same seed right that is sown or or preached over there. It's identical. What that means is that whether or not the gospel bears good fruit, it has nothing to do with sower, it has nothing to do with seed, but it has everything to do with the soil. It has everything to do with the condition of heart into which it is sown. So the question that we all need to ask ourselves tonight is, what kind of soil am I? What kind of soil am I? Jesus identifies four types. So let's start with the first group, the seed that is sown on the path. We're going to look at verses 5 and 12. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Jesus is saying to us that there are many people who hear the gospel uh, and they don't believe. And their problem is not that they haven't heard it. Okay, Jesus says in verse 12, they've heard it, right? The, The seed has been sowed amongst them. The word has been preached to them. The problem is that the word never penetrated their hearts. One way or another, the devil blocked it or prevented it from actually getting inside. Now There are, I imagine, several ways that the devil does this. We could spend a whole lot of time perhaps thinking about it, uh, but I've been able to identify at least three. Three ways that the devil prevents the word of God from actually penetrating or entering into our hearts. The first way that he does that is through prejudice. You all know what prejudice is. Okay. It's treating something or someone unfairly uh, because of some preconceived notion, right? often based on hearsay uh, or uh, somebody else's opinion. You know, you can be prejudiced against things like broccoli. Get on the playgrounds like, uh broccoli's gross, so that when mom makes broccoli casserole, you're like, I don't want to eat it. <laughs> right? You can be bro- prejudiced against broccoli. You can be prejudiced uh, against people. Uh, you can be prejudiced against God. Maybe you've heard some ugly things about him from somebody. Or maybe you've seen some people do some ugly things in his name. And consequently, you say to yourself, I don't like him. I don't like God. Now, granted, you've never met him. Granted, you've never talked to him or have had the opportunity to really engage with him. But because of prejudice, you don't even care. You don't even want to. God's word is blocked. It doesn't get in. Prejudice is one of the ways that the devil blocks God's word from entering our hearts, but another means that he does that is through distraction. I walk up to campus just about every single day of the week, and I often run into students, and sometimes quite literally, because you and I, right, I'm I'm not innocent. What we're all doing is this, right? We're looking down at our cell phones with headphones in our ears. Uh, We are seeing people, but we don't see. We see what's right there in front of us, but we also miss so much that's around it. We miss the beauty of the world, but we also miss some of the suffering that demands our attention. We are hearing people, but we don't hear. Like we hear what's in our headphones, we hear the music that we want or the voices we want, uh, but we are deaf to the sounds of nature and we're deaf to uh, the cries for help. We're deaf to God's voice. We are distracted people. The other way perhaps that the devil uh, keeps God's word from penetrating or entering our heart is familiarity. That sense that you've heard it all before. Like, yeah, 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 I get it. I've heard it. This attitude or this bent of heart is just another way that the devil keeps God's word from penetrating our hearts and taking root there. Why does the word of God bear fruit in some lives and not others? It's because there are people who don't want to hear. There are people who are too distracted to hear. And there are people who think they've heard it all before. All of these, right, strategies that the devil employs. But let's move on uh, to the second group, right? seed that is sown on rocky soil. Look at verse 6 and 13 with me. And some seed fell on the rock, uh, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. Now, it's helpful to know that when Jesus talks about rocky soil, he's not describing soil with a bunch of little rocks in it. Okay, what Jesus is describing is a condition, like a soil condition that's commonly found in Palestine. It's a thin layer of soil resting on top of a hard layer of bedrock. In other words, shallow soil, right? soil that has no depth. That's what he's talking about here. Okay, Jesus says these are people who have heard the word. Okay, the seed or the word actually gets in, right? But it doesn't go very deep. These people receive the word quickly. And as Jesus says, they receive it with joy. And sure enough, you see results pretty quickly because it's shallow soil after all. But the life of the plant, which is to say the life of faith, it doesn't last very long. So long as there is water that is readily available at the surface, the plant is doing just fine. Right, it's comfortable even. But as soon as you take away this moisture and as soon as you add just a little bit of heat, gone. The faith withers and the plant disappears. For some of you, this is what you're facing right now. You've left an environment where it might have been really easy to be a Christian. Perhaps you felt like there was a lot of water readily available at the surface. Uh, But now you're at UVM and you're wondering, what do I do now? What I want to say to you, and what I want to say to everyone, is that this is a really great place for you to grow spiritually. God has not brought you here to destroy you. Like This is great soil to be planted in and to grow. There is living water at UVM. There is living water at Champlain. There is living water here in Burlington, but you've got to work a little bit harder to find it. Furthermore, and you probably know this already, being a Christian at UVM or at Champlain, it's not seen as cool. Right? It might get you attention, but maybe not the kind of attention that you want or are used to. In other words, at UVM, right, in Burlington, water is harder to find, and there's a little bit more heat. And this is going to lead to one of two outcomes. Are you going to dig deep to find living water? And as your roots go down deep, deeper and deeper in search of this living water, are you going to become stronger and harder to uproot? Right? Or when the water isn't close at hand, and or when you take a little bit of heat for your faith, are you going to wither up and die? Why does the gospel bear fruit in some lives and not others? It's because some seed lands on the ground that is hard, right? It's prejudiced. It's distracted. It's too familiar. And some lands on ground that's simply shallow. But this brings us to the third group, right? Seed uh, that is sown amongst thorns. Look at verses uh, 7 and 14. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Okay. In this case, right, Jesus is describing people who have heard the word of God, right? It's taken root in their life, and fruit is actually beginning to emerge. But sadly, right, this fruit doesn't ripen. It doesn't mature. It sort of dies on the vine. Jesus says this is because the plant has been strangled. It's been choked, right, by the riches and the cares uh, and the pleasures of this world. Okay, the thorns that Jesus describes here uh, are a special variety um, that were you to go there, you would see them, right? They grow six feet tall, and they're attractive. They bud with beautiful flowers, red and and yellow and blue. They're the kind of weeds that if you were to see them, you'd be like, that's beautiful. Like, I want want that for my garden. In the same way, you might look at uh, a new car and be like, that's nice, I want that. Or maybe a closet full of new clothes, or the iPhone 7. They don't have a headphone jack, by the way. Maybe you don't want that, right? But things like it, right? Beautiful stuff. Like a bee, we're drawn towards these things. They capture our imagination. And we think to ourselves, if only I had more of this, or if only I had more of that, if only I had more shiny stuff, then I would be happy. Right? Then I would be secure. Then I would be somebody. If you're not careful, it's very easy for you to make these things and the acquisition of these things your reason for being. Not just the reason for your being alive, but the reason why you're here at college. I just want to get a degree so I can get a nice job, so I can get a nice house, so I can get a nice car, so I can get a nice country club membership, so I can get a nice coffin, right? Is that the trajectory that you're on, right? Just the acquisition of nice stuff. Jesus says, beware You can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And if you make money or comfort or pleasure the chief aim of your life, the thing that you daydream about, obsess over, get out of bed for, worship and serve, the word of God is going to be choked out of you. And you will cease to bear fruit. That lasts for eternity. And I've seen it happen. Um. I'm not that old, but I've seen it happen, right? People in love with Jesus, doing good work in the world, motivated by the gospel, and then making it rich, like fantastically rich. And they are not Christians anymore. And the love of God has been choked out of them. And their lifestyle, which at first was once beautiful and inspiring, It now appears immature and insipid and stale. And I don't want it, and you wouldn't want it either. The love of God's been choked out of them. It's been squeezed, kind of like a python squeezing its prey. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns choked it. This brings us to the fourth and final sort of soil. Let's look at verse 8 and 15. And some seed fell into good soil, and it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. What makes this seed-soil combination so successful? Why does the seed here succeed? whereas it had failed elsewhere. Okay, the text mentions three, right? Jesus, right, mentions three characteristics. The first is that this is the kind of person who holds fast to the Word. Okay, he or she is clinging to God's promises, not letting them go. And in that regard, this sort of person is quite unlike the second uh, soil. Like this person has a root system it knows how to find living water, and it knows ho- how to hold on to or, or retain that living water. It's fair to ask, what does that look like, practically speaking? And this is actually a question that we're wrestling with all week in Bible study. Where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me. Stick with me. Let my word get inside of you. Get inside of me. Right? What does that look like, practically speaking? Come to Bible study Think through this with me and with us, right? It's a good place to do that. Secondly, okay, the word is planted in honest and a good heart. Literally, the text says a, a good and generous heart. Generosity is the greatest antidote to greed. If you don't want to be gripped by wealth, don't be don't hold on to it tightly, and it won't have a tight grip on you. If you want to not be gripped by your your wealth share it you know see it for what it really is it's a gift right, and a gift that was meant to be shared it wasn't meant to stop with you it was meant to enrich you but enrich the lives of those around you as well and third and finally right this sort of person it he or she bears fruit with patience And I love that, that ending, right, with patience. You all, fruit-bearing is a process. If you become a Christian on Monday, you are not going to be a mature fruit-bearing tree on Tuesday. Like, it doesn't work that way. It takes time, right? It's not instantaneous, which means you need to be patient with yourself, and you also got to be patient with other people. Fruit-bearing with patience. I want to encourage you with this. As we wrap this sermon up, when a seed is freshly planted uh, in the soil, you know as I know that that soil looks identical. Like it looks just as it did before. You put a little seed in the plant of soil, Nothing. it doesn't look any different than before. On the surface, nothing is different, but in actuality, everything is new. Before there was nothing, now there's something. Before there was death, now there's life present. A seed has been planted. Something is alive and growing in you. It just wasn't there before. And as you hold fast to this, and as you water it, and as you nurture it, evidence of this new life, it's going to break through the surface. And slowly but surely, you will bear fruit. You will grow in love and joy and peace and patience, in kindness and in goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But here's the thing. This fruit that you bear, it's not an aesthetic. It's not there so that you look good and impress people. The fruit that you bear is for those around you, your friends, your family, your roommates, and your peers, that they might see your fruit, and they might take and taste of it, and see that God is good. That's the point. That they may see and taste that God is good. My friends, he is. At this very moment, God the good sower is sowing his good seed. He's sowing it amongst you. What kind of soil is it falling upon? He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray.